Good morning, Redemption City Church. It is good to be with you. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Isn't it good to sing the gospel? Isn't it good just to sing the simple and yet profound gospel together? Sunday's the best day uh, to be able to sing with the saints, to hear the word preached. And today, I start a five-week series going through what we call the path of discipleship. Uh, and then after this series, I'll do a, three more, uh, uh, a series that takes three weeks. And then we'll be in November, and I'm going to start the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be, we'll, we'll be there for a long time. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, but I can't start Luke and then preach through the birth of Christ and then find myself at Christmas. So we're going to wait a minute, okay, and uh, preach through it once. And so, but today we're going to start the path of discipleship. And I want you to understand, to live, to breathe this path of discipleship. Its importance cannot be overstated to our church. And you're going to hear about it all the time. And that's why I chose to preach through this sermon series today. And so when I got to Redeemer about six and a half years ago, I took a position that was kind of like a discipleship position. And I went into Pastor John's office and I said, do we have a path of discipleship? And, and uh, he said, yes, but it's kind of old and outdated. And so we spent a couple years writing and, and uh, talking and debating, and it was awesome. And we got to this path of discipleship together, and the, the pastoral team at Redeemer have, all have their hands in this, and we've been honing it over the years. And I want you to know it, to live it, to breathe it. And the five steps of the path of discipleship are, and I believe all of the Christian life can be put into one of these categories. The first one is convert to Christ. We cannot make disciples of people that are not converted to Jesus Christ, and we do not want to assume salvation as a church, right? And we'll get into that today. The next thing, after someone is a Christian, commune with God is what comes next. How do I commune with God? We're united to God by faith in Jesus Christ. How do we, how do we worship God? How do we walk with God to learning how to do that in our life? And then commit to Redemption City Church. Now, this point is applicable to all churches. It just means, you know, our church name is Redemption City Church, so it's commit to your local church, an act of spiritual growth as you give yourself to the local church that God leads you to. Fourth, fourthly, communicate the gospel, and, and lastly, cultivate disciplers. So convert to Christ, commune with God, commit to Redemption City Church, communicate the gospel, and cultivate disciplers. We'll take them one at a time. So today is convert to Christ. And just so you know what's coming, I'm going to spend about half of today's message kind of telling you why this topic is important. And then I have three points, but the first one is going to be long, and the, first, the last two are going to be really short. Just so you anxious people wonder, how is he still in the introduction, right? Just so you know, relax, all right? It's going to be okay. Um, and then uh, it's a you know, it's, appropriate. it's an appropriate time for us to lay out what we believe about salvation as a church. And so we start with that today. And so we all need to be saved. Do you believe that? We all need to be saved. Um, that is where this must start. You have a need, and I have a need, that we need to be saved. I don't know how many of you remember this story. Aaron Ralston. Uh, if you Google 127 hours you will find his story. He was a hiker that went to Utah, and he didn't tell anybody where he was hiking. Bad idea. And he had fallen into a crack, and a boulder had trapped his arm 
in between the wall and the ground. And his feet were not even on the ground. He had to put one foot on this side and one foot on that side, and he was trapped for 127 hours. And he kept hoping and praying that somebody would come and save him, and then he realized if he was gonna be saved, he had to save himself. And so what he did was that he realized he needed to break the bones of his arm. And so he, he put his arm in a position and snapped the bones in his arm. He took out his pocket knife and cut off part of his arm. And this, this guy had to find his way out of trouble. And then he had a seven-mile hike back to where he needed to be safe. And he realized, I'm not going to make it. And there was a helicopter flying over Utah, because that's all he told his parents. He was, I'm in Utah. And the helicopter just so happened to find him. And he's alive today. Now, this is an incredible story of self-survival. But now let's imagine this same man in the cave, but let's pretend that he's dead. I'm going to ask you a silly question. Could he save himself? My friends, are we simply stuck in our sins? If, if we are good enough, can we save ourselves from our sins? If we lop off by our own self-strength and own self-sufficiency sins that weigh us down, will we make it at the end? No. The Bible tells us God is gracious to tell us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'm going to ask another really deep, hard question, okay? What do dead people do? I'm not going to preach until I hear the answer. I didn't hear anything. Nothing. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. I heard a bunch of rumblings all at the same time. Nothing. Dead people cannot save themselves. And how sad is this reality? Brothers and sisters, I want us to not just confess this truth. I want us to lament over the, the truth, the reality, that our world is largely having life but dead inside. We are whitewashed tombs without Jesus Christ. We have the, uh, the appearance of life, but inside we're dead to God. We are not alive, and we need him to rescue us. Dead people do not take the first step towards God. They need a miracle. They need to be saved. And nobody likes the truth that we were born into this world with sinful natures, but it's true. Our first representative, Adam, he failed, and he passed on his sinful nature to us, creating this need that we must be saved and we need God to rescue us. You are not sufficient for this task on your own. You can't do an Aaron Ralston kind of thing and make it to heaven. We need to be saved. My question is, do you feel your need to be saved? Do you feel your need to be saved? Do you know it? And as your pastor and as your friend, what matters most to me is knowing that you are saved. I do not want to assume this. And as I meet with you guys in the coming days, weeks, and months, I'm going to press into your stories. And, and if I do, please don't be offended by that. Because I care most about knowing that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
I don't want to try to disciple you and try to get you to pray and try to get you to serve if you're not going to be with Jesus in the end. The most important thing to me is knowing that you are saved and you knowing that you are saved. And we must not make the mistake of trying to disciple the lost, ignoring someone's salvation. As a church, I do not want to assume salvation because it's the most loving thing to do. And why is this an important thing to me? Well, there's a few reasons. The first one is life. Knowing Jesus Christ is surpassingly greater than anything else in life. And I care about that for you. Knowing Jesus Christ is surpassingly greater than anything else you'll ever experience in life. And that matters to me. Do you know him? I want you to experience the life that Jesus has created you for, and it's knowing him. You need him, and if you're here without him, he is who you've been missing in your life. I guarantee that you've tried and filled your heart with substitutes, but they fall short, and you know it. You're missing Jesus. You need him. He wants to know you, cleanse your heart from sin, save you, seal you with his spirit, and make you righteous and adopt you into his family. And if you're here today and you're without him, he wants you today. He's calling you to himself today. You need to be saved and he wants you. Another reason is death. So life, but then death. Heaven is promised to those who know Christ. Heaven is incomprehensibly greater than we could ever imagine now. It's beyond what we can imagine now. But uh, and, it, and I care if you live in the celestial city in the end. I care about that. But as equally true as heaven is, hell is also true. Hell is forever. Hell is incomprehensibly worse than we could ever imagine. And I I care that you do not go there. I don't want you there. I care that you do not end up there. The wages of our sin is death. We've earned it. And we need rescue. Do you feel your need for Christ today? Because we cannot do an Aaron Ralston thing and make it to the other side. And once a person is born, they are an eternal being. You know this, right? There's only one millisecond in which we do not exist, and it's in our death. But right after our death, we are in eternal life or eternal state of death. And all people exist somewhere. Death is but a moment. And I want you to listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this in his book, The Weight of Glory. It is a serious thing to live in a society, he says, of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can ask or you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. And he's talking about the glorified state of believers. If we were to see who we were to be in the future, we would be tempted to bow because we will be made like Jesus in the end. Glorified, glorified bodies. But yes, he continues, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and cultures and arts and civilizations, these are mortal. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors 
or everlasting splendors. Those are the options. And I care most if you are headed to be with Christ in the end. And church, I want you to care most about this with each other in this church and with our neighbors above all things. It's, this is important. Here's another reason why I care, my testimony. I grew up in church and at six years old, I was told by my Sunday school teacher to repeat a prayer after him and I could know for sure that I would be saved. And I did that, I said those words, but, and everyone in my church told me that you are now a Christian and I believed them. The only problem is God didn't agree with them. I did not really pray to God. I did not really ask God to forgive me of my sins. I did not really turn to Christ and look to him for salvation. I just said words. And if I would have died between 6 and 20, I would not have been with Christ. And when I came to Christ, I'll tell you, one of the first emotions that I had was anger with my church. Because why did, this, this question was resounding in my heart, why did nobody care enough about me to ask me anything? Why did no one care enough to ask me any questions? If they would have dug an inch deep into my life, they would have seen this child, this young man does not know Jesus Christ. And I want to be the type of pastor, I want to, you to be the type of Christian and church member that we don't overlook people and we care about people. We move towards people and we care most about their salvation, not judging them for their sinful life. Of course they have a sinful life, we all do. We are all equally in need of a savior. Do you know that? And we need to be a church that cares. I don't just assume it because of my testimony. I, I, I don't assume it because of my testimony and because of the teachings of Jesus. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are the most frightening verses in the Bible, in my opinion, because these are church people. These are people who think they're going to heaven, and on the last day, they're wrong. And I want you to notice, because I do not want you leaving here, Christians, I do not want Christians leaving here afraid that they're going to be lost. Listen very carefully. Did you hear the boast or the confidence of the people who thought they were going to heaven? Lord, did you not? I did all of these great things for you. What do you mean? Every Christian ought to know when you stand before God, you don't boast about your work. I should hear an amen right about now. Amen's encourage the preacher's heart, okay, people? All right? (laughs) Christians know that our only hope is the substitutionary life and the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you confused about how we get to heaven. It's not your work at all. Do you remember we're dead? Aaron wouldn't get out of the cave if he was dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. God needs to make us alive. 
And that comes through the work of Jesus Christ. That is our hope and our confidence. Listen, assurance of your salvation makes all of the difference. I know some of you doubt and wonder, am I going to make it? And I hope that at the end of this sermon, God would so move in your heart to have confidence in Christ. So before we turn our attention to the new birth, I told you, that's why I warned you. Is he still in the introduction? I am. But it's half the sermon, okay? Chill. Chill, people. All right? Just relax. <laughs> I see you looking at your watches, all right? It's, we're we're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Before we turn our attention to the new birth, we must know what the gospel is. The gospel of God is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. The whole Bible leads to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen to a summary in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Listen to me. There is massive confusion about what the gospel is in our day. It does not involve you. Let that settle in for a second. The gospel of Jesus Christ is historical facts about what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. But it does not involve anything that you do. Our faith and repentance is required, but that is the work of the application of salvation to your soul. Let's be clear. The good news of the gospel is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, you'll hear all the time about his substitutionary death. Amen to that. But we also must confess that we must be saved by his life. Listen to me. Let's be clear. You need two things to make it to heaven. Two things. You need forgiveness from God. You need forgiveness from God. But we can't just get to even. We need perfect righteousness by which we will be judged. And listen to me, Jesus Christ, why did he fulfill all righteousness? His substitutionary life was lived for you. Do you understand this? That we need absolute perfection from God to make it to heaven. From God to make it to heaven. And Jesus Christ lived that perfect life. And since he lived that perfect life, he died a substitutionary atonement death, a wrath-satisfying death. Do you know that in the body of Christ, your sins and mine were put in his body, and the Father exhausted all of his wrath upon our sins in the body of Christ so that there's no more left for you. Therefore, there is no condemnation for, their, for those who are in Christ. In Christ, why? Because Christ absorbed all of the wrath of God for your sins. That's the gospel. That we can be forgiven because Christ died for us. We can have righteousness because Christ lived for us. So when you stand before God on the last day, it's a fixed court case. Do you know that God the Father is pleased with the life and the death of Jesus so much that he wrote, he, and I always screw this up, he rose him from the dead. God is pleased with his life and death so that he brought him up from death to life. 
and therefore we will be judged by the life and death of Christ. And God the Father has given God the Son the office of judge. So when you stand before your judge at the end of, the, at the end of your life, Jesus will judge you according to his record. Do you understand this? So you say, Matt, you don't understand. I trusted in Christ and I'm still struggling with sin. Of course you are. Your salvation is not earned by you. Do you understand this? Our confidence is in the life and in the death of Jesus. We look to him as the only assurance we have that we will make it to the other side. That is the gospel. And then God, the Holy Spirit, causes us to be alive. He unites us to Christ. This is the fruit or the benefit or the application of the good news to us. The Holy Spirit causes us to be alive. He unites us to Jesus Christ. The Spirit applies the benefits of the gospel of Christ to us by faith alone. How do you grab hold of this? By faith alone in Jesus Christ. So, reflection number one. To, live, to convert to Christ, we must live, we must experience new birth because we're dead. We must experience new birth. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, John 3, 3. And I want you to see, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So we should be excited that there is a kingdom of God that we've been invited to. And there's a condition that must be met in us for us to see it, to experience it, to be there, and to be there with the king of this kingdom. And we, that condition is we must be born again. And as one theologian put it, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And this is good news. And this is what we should care most about. And, and we are dead people in need of life. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And so... Now we're getting somewhere. Okay, what is this new birth that's found in Christ? We become a new creation. How are we found in Christ? We'll get there. The new is what is promised in the old covenant and what the ministry of Jesus has brought to us to believe. So listen to me. The new covenant is promised in the, in the Old Testament. Listen to Jeremiah 31, and here are the details that God says about this new covenant, about this new birth. God says, I will put my law within them. So not just on tablets of stone anymore. God's going to put it in the heart, in their hearts. I will be their God, he says, and they will be my people. And the future hope of heaven, it says in there, it says, you won't have to tell your neighbor to know the Lord because they'll all know the Lord. This future picture of heaven, how amazing will that be? And then the new covenant promises in Ezekiel 36, God will give them new hearts. Give them new hearts. And then he says, a new spirit, small s. I will remove their heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is new birth. I will, give, I will put my spirit, capital S, within you. 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. I heard John Piper explain this so well once where he said, in this new birth, here's what God does when he regenerates us. He gives us a new spirit, small s. He makes us new. This is the new creation. And it's like this spirit. He put up his hand like this and he's like, he, then he puts his Holy Spirit in you. And then this Holy Spirit over your life starts to flex and mold and make you like into the image of Christ. So he makes you new, and then he starts you on this path of becoming like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's this new birth. And being born again, I want you to see, is a gift from God, not a work of man. Being born again is a gift from God. It's not the work of man. Again, it's a good Sunday to define what Redemption City believes, what the Bible teaches about salvation. And this is... It. It's a gift from God, not a work of man. We are not simply good people a little bit off. We are dead people in need of a resurrection. Listen to 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's the cause of your, your new birth and mine? Are we the cause? He has caused us to be born again. And here is our beautiful salvation. Here's where it starts in eternity past. Listen to, and, and again, why is this necessary? We're gonna cover this and we'll, we have a lifetime to spend together to unpack these truths, but I'm gonna be uh, covering a lot of ground today. But listen to Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Our salvation starts in eternity past. Blessed be the God and Father. Do you hear this? Blessed be. Worship to God's name. To be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is important for your confidence. If you find yourself in Christ today, you can't work to keep something you couldn't earn in the first place. Our trust is in Christ. And listen to Jeremiah. I was reading Jeremiah this week, and here's what it says about him. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to all nations. God says to him, before I formed you, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. It's the hope of salvation, that it lies with God. And we, he has to take the first step towards us because we are dead. We must know this. Galatians 1, 15 and 16, it's not the last time this is mentioned in the Bible. It's all over the place. The Apostle Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal, listen to this language, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Did the apostle Paul take his first step towards God? Or did God take his first step towards him? He knocked him off a horse as he was going to arrest and persecute Christians. God saved a wretch like Paul and used him to write most of the New Testament. This is good news. The salvation lies with God. He must take the first step because we are dead. God is sovereign and yet we are responsible. We are responsible. And so we are 
in eternity past, and then we are called. Listen to Romans 8, 29, and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might make, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And to those whom he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. Listen to me. In the hearing, how does, how does God call a sinner to himself? through the preaching or the sharing of the gospel of his son. And so if you're here today and you're without Christ, how do you know you're being called by God? Because you're hearing the good news. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that when we plead with sinners and we share the good news, it's as if Christ himself were inviting that sinner to himself. And so if you're hearing the good news today, it's Jesus reaching out to you because he wants to have you. He wants to save you. This is good news. He calls us to himself. And listen, Jesus Christ comes after us. He leaves the 99 to come get you because we are dead and we need him to. Listen to me. In John 6, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. God is seeking people to save, and he sent Jesus to prove it. He is seeking to save which, that which was lost. And then faith is a gift. Again, remember, our new birth is a gift. All of this is under that category. He said to them, Jesus, but who, did, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Are you sitting here confident in Jesus Christ being the savior? Do you know that that is a gift? That knowledge, that faith that you have is a gift from God to you. He has given that to you. And that is beautiful to me. And then we are justified. You see the progression of Romans. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And so that's where we are. We're made right with God through faith in Christ. We have right standing before God when we put our faith in Christ. This is being regenerated by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit, when he works in us, he convicts us of our sin and he graciously leads us to repentance. Do you know that worldly repentance, you know that it's worldly repentance if you're just, if you're just tore up with guilt and it leads to death. You just despair and it's sorrow after sorrow. Repentance is when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and you take that sin to Christ, and it leads to life. And we hear about this, this work of the Holy Spirit of bringing regeneration into our hearts in Titus 3, where for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We're not saved by our own righteous works. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. 
So this new birth is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it comes through faith. He works and then it's accompanied by faith and repentance. Romans 3 tells us, for, for by the works of the law, no man, no human being will be justified in his sight. Do you hear the Bible just saying it? You're not, you can't save yourself. You need the work of God. Since through the law, obeying, comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What are your needs for heaven? You need forgiveness. You need righteousness. What does Christ earn for you and offer to you? What you need. In abundance. And it's applied. It's apprehended. It's grabbed onto by faith. And we will be progressively sanctified. And so, listen, predestined, called, justified, and to those whom he justified, he will also sanctify. Because here it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen to me. If you find yourself in Christ, you know what God's up to in your life? You're like, why am I going through this hard situation again and again? Why am I dealing with this difficulty and that difficulty? Do you understand that God is at work making you like Jesus Christ? And God so loves you that he can see all of the impurities, all the remaining sin, and he knows how to squeeze your, if your life was a water bottle, he knows how to squeeze that water bottle, those impurities to the surface to show you graciously. He's not... He's not trying to beat you over the head. He wants that impurity gone. And he's graciously revealing to you the sin remaining in your heart so that you can repent and become more like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. The more you lean into that truth, the more you will agree with God with what he's doing in your life and your sanctification will fly in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for those whom he justified and to those whom he uh, justified, he'll also glorify he will glorify. This is where our salvation is headed. This is in the future. Listen to 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. At the end of all things, the, the work that Jesus has begun in you will be finished. And the finishing of his work is that he will completely remove all remaining sin and glorify you in these resurrected bodies that will not face corruption, that will be immortal, that will be like Jesus fit for heaven. Do you know what I care most about? Is that knowing that you're headed towards glorification. And listen, how does the rebirth come? It comes by hearing the word of Christ and believing. And once you're born again, the penalty of sin is gone. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, point two and three. I told you, you're gonna be like, no way. He can't, no way. You're gonna be quick, okay? Because we're gonna cover point two and three over the course of this series. But point two is new life. If we're gonna live the convert, if we're gonna be convert to Christ, we need new birth. And then new birth brings new life. And then the last reflection is then it brings kingdom priorities into our life. So I'm not going to say much about new life, but because we're, again, we're going to be covering this throughout, but open to Romans 6. I want you to turn there. Just going to look at a couple verses there. 
So again, the gospel of Jesus is what Jesus has done for us in history, in time, what he has accomplished for us. How it applies to us is by faith and repentance, by the work of the Holy Spirit. But then what happens in life? I want you to see this. And I'm gonna let the Bible speak for itself mostly here, but Romans 6, this whole chapter is glorious about the new life that we have in Christ. Look at verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we... How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And listen to me in verse five, for we have been united with him in his death like he is. And I was about to say flip the page. Don't do that because my Bible, I have to flip the page. You just stay where you're at. And look at verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. So this new birth takes the penalty of sin away, but also the power of sin in your life. Do you believe that? And don't just say, I haven't experienced it yet. Do you believe that Jesus is telling you the truth? And I want you to experience this, brothers and sisters. You're dead to sin and alive to God. In verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of, for unrighteousness. And then look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching of which you've committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That's this new life that we no longer have to obey sin's demands, but we get to have new life in Christ and know the good life of knowing Christ. And now we are servants, slaves of righteousness for his kingdom's sake. And we'll talk about that in the, life, in the weeks to come. New life and then kingdom priorities. I'll tell you, when I, during those 14 years from 6 to 20, I didn't care about what God said. I, I could care less about what God's priorities were for my life. And which were, and God's priorities for our life is to love him and love other people. That is the sum total of life. Do you know who I loved? Me. The only person I loved in that time was me. I only cared about my priorities. Listen, when you, when you experience new birth and new life, you develop kingdom priorities. Listen to Matthew 6, when it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Is your life, believer, marked with kingdom priorities? We'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. See? Those two, last two points were just painless. You see that? It's great. Let's apply this for a minute before we close. Have you been born again? Have you experienced this new birth? Do you have assurance of your salvation? 
Having a lack of assurance can be torturous to your soul. Do you know I've experienced this? I bet most of you have. I thought I had outsinned grace in my life. Have you ever been there? As a new believer, as a new believer in Christ, I thought I had outsinned God's grace in my life. And, and I, it was two years of pure torture. Every single day, putting my head on the pillow saying, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I wonder how many of you are experiencing that now or have in the past. And do you know how God rescued me from that pit? Taking my eyes off of my life and putting them on the sufficiency of the Savior. The lies of the enemy were to tie me down and beat me down and believe lies, but I started believing what Jesus said. And God rescued my soul. Take again and again from the depths of despair. And so trust in Christ. Take your eyes off of yourself and put them in Christ. And some of you have dramatic conversion stories. Stake in the ground moments. Some of you were saved when you were a child and you have no memory of it. Some of you just kind of realize one day like, hey, I believe this and I love Jesus. All of those are wonderful, miracle testimonies. Do not doubt your testimony because of, I don't have the stake in the ground moment. Here's the question. Are you currently trusting Jesus Christ to save you right now? Are you looking to him for forgiveness and his righteousness? If you were asked the question of judgment by Jesus, by what ground should I let you in? How would you answer? Would you be like those in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, and say, Lord, Lord, I, I've done all these things for you? You won't make it. The answer to the question is, Lord, you're my only hope. That is the right answer. And if you're trusting in Christ, you can know that you're saved. And it's more than knowing the right answer, though. Are you trusting in Christ? Are you looking to him personally? It's not just knowing these things. Have you given your life to him? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus and repented of your sins? Come to Christ today. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to Christ and he will give you rest in your soul. John 1, 2 says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So listen to me, church. I will not assume your salvation. I'm not gonna be weird about it with you. and Just say, I am saved. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm not gonna be weird about it. But I do care to press in. And I wonder how many of you are assuming someone else's salvation that, that you ought to care a little bit more about. If there's anybody that's coming to mind right now, will you go to them this week? Will you care enough to have a conversation? And you say it's gonna be awkward. Yes. Get very comfortable with having awkward conversations because it's the most loving thing you can do. How unloving could it be to, to know and to be afraid of someone's eternal state and just because you don't wanna have an awkward conversation, you leave them alone. And you just hope and pray someone else has the conversation. Yes, hope and pray other people join you in the task, but if they're on your mind, go for them this week. 
brothers and sisters of us who are parents in this room, and we've been entrusted by God with these precious souls that are in the basement, let me ask you a question. Well, no, not a question. I just want to, I just want to encourage you to care most about their little souls. We can get caught up in just demanding obedience and trying to get them to obey and making it through the day. Listen to me. If you have been entrusted with these precious souls and these lives that God has created, what ought to matter most to us is that they are united to Christ by faith. That's not a miracle you can produce, but you can pray and beg God for it and toil by sharing the gospel and showing them Jesus in your home. Will you do that and make that the priority for your children? All that the gospel requires is faith and repentance. Salvation will produce obedience to God, but all that is required is that you believe and turn to Christ. Let's pray.